good to see everyone this morning. It's good that we can sing songs of praises to God. And we appreciate everybody being here. And we want to talk about, I'm going to finish up something I started some time back. Uh, On the first day of the week, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight from Acts 20 and verse 7. In Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In Acts 2, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. There's another verse that mentions some of these, but it says they did those things daily. So apparently they did these things on the first day of the week. So the first day of the week, uh, busy things were happening. I mean, when the, there was an assembly of the saints, and the things they did were they broke the Lord's Supper. They broke the bread, which we just did. And there was preaching and teaching going on. And there was singing going on. And there was praying going on, those things we all know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as it may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So, uh, with all those things listed there, we can add the contribution, the collection uh, that was taken up. And we want to look at that here this morning. We want to talk about the collection, the contribution that we give. Um, the word for the collection is one that's used in a formal sense on the first day of the week. Um, it's, it's, it's not the idea of storing up funds at home, by the way. And financial contributions, in uh, especially a collection that had religious overtones, the, this two times it's used in the scripture for the collection was in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and verse 2. That's the only times it, it, it's mentioned. And these contributions... Uh, it says they have religious overtones, and the idea, if I remember what I read, was that in the everyday language, this this word, this collection word, was used for uh, paying money for uh, idol in idols' temples and, and that such, and it's it's carried over. And Paul uses that word, so we would separate it from any other thing, any other kind of tax or anything like that. So uh, it's, it's the, used in those times. And so he gave orders to them to do that. So you must do also. So this is not something that is optional for them to do. And uh, we understand that this collection was for the saints. Um, there's some things that we need to think about. The church cared for its own needy. This, he told the churches in various places, you collect this money, there's, some, there's a need in, in uh, Judea, in Jerusalem. I don't, know what the, I don't know why there was a need. I don't know if it was a, 
uh, the persecution had, had made destitute those who were Christians? I don't know. We, none of us know. But there was a need. It could have been a famine. I don't know. But it wasn't an immediate need right then because it's, it's taken a while for, for this to be brought together. So, but the church cared for its own needy. And so the church isn't a hospital or an orphan home. And there's no evidence on the first day of the week that the collection was used to relieve the poverty of those not Christians. The church cared for its own. Not a hospital, not an orphan's home. It's not for the public, for non-members to relieve their poverty. So what we have to understand is caring for the needs of the saints is not the primary function of the church. Well, what would that function be? Just think in your mind, what's, what's this about? This is about the Lord loving us enough that he gave his son to die for us, that we would not be punished, and that we would take the initiative and teach others. That's our primary goal. That's the Lord's primary goal. That's the mission of the church is to tell others about Christ. And we talked in the first hour about the, the uh, hope and the grace that was extended toward us and that we look forward to that and expect to receive a reward for living in such a way that God approves of how we live. It's interesting. When Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you find out that it, a, a little later in another book that Jesus says, I always do those things that please the Father. And therefore the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I well please. So it's my job and yours to do those things that please the Lord. And so that he could say, he won't uh, verbally to us that you please me. But that's our job. And part of that job is being evangelistic and telling others about the hope that we have in Christ. And another thing is to give of our means. Benevolence was used to relieve suffering of those already in Christ. We've already mentioned that before. But it was not used as an evangelistic tool to bring others to Christ. The idea is not to see somebody that needs something, needs help, and say, come on in and be baptized and we'll pay you or we'll help you relieve you. That's not the idea. The idea is to teach others about Christ so that he can save their sins. Those sins can be taken away. And uh, it, it, if there's a need that comes up for them uh, in this life, then we're the, the church is, has a responsibility to help take care of it, or the individual members do, or help them to get out of that need. The collection 
this is the only place in Scripture we see how it was done. On the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. They also collected some money. And there's a lot of instruction in in Scripture about that. They didn't have cake sales. They didn't have donut sales. They didn't have raffles or any of that kind of stuff. We don't, it's, it, it's not there. But 1 Corinthians 16.1 tells us how they did do it. I put donut sales up there. I saw a couple of ladies sitting at a, a table one day. And they were just as friendly and just as, 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 just as outgoing as they can be. And they wanted me to buy some of their donuts for their church. And I said, I guess I need to talk to you a minute. So I told them about 1 Corinthians 16.1. Did no good. It kept right on selling donuts. <laughs> it just, it just, but that's not the way that the church was set up to raise its funds. They were quite friendly to talk to. It was, it was a good experience, although it didn't, it didn't help them. The people gave as they prospered. Paul does not indicate a definite amount or proportion. It's up to our conscience. One who has more income is expected to give more. If one has more or gains more because of working more, one the option is to give more. If you're away from the Lord's day, the sum should be made up. Because there are things that we, that this this congregation needs the money for. You make it up. It's not, I didn't have to give this week because I was out of town. No, you give. You make that up. Let's look at some passages that talk about the local treasury in a church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Paul says, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. Paul felt that it was robbery. And he's in Corinth, he's writing to Corinth rather, not in Corinth right when he's writing this. But he's writing to Corinth and said, you know, I've robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. That While he was in Corinth, he didn't take their money. He had rights to it if he'd wanted it, but he did not take it. So we see that the other churches supplied a need for Paul so he could live and and sustain himself with their help uh, while he was uh, on his journeys preaching and teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 so do not let a widow under 60 years old, years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. So apparently there was a fund set up to help widows who were in need, and there was um, some qualifications that they had to meet. They're 60 years old at least, and the husband had been the husband of one wife. So therefore widows, and if their family... Uh, sons and daughters, and if their family could not, or there weren't, may, maybe not sons and daughters any uh, left alive or never had any, then, then the church had a responsibility to help them. So there was uh, 
a fund available. So apparently they, this word collection, when they did it on the first day of the week, that's what some of it was used for. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Paul writes, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. You shared in my distress. We don't, again, I, I don't normally think of Paul being in distress just every day. I know he, uh, it, it, the, he wrote in the Corinthians of all those things that he endured. But we just don't think about him being in distress and being in poverty and destitute. And that's, he's used at least destitute to describe himself at certain times. He just didn't have it. So the church in Philippi helped him, and he's thanking them. This isn't taxation like the temple tax that the Jews had. It's something that they just, they just had to pay. Uh, it, this is not that. And this is not a bill that you have to pay or that you need to pay. It's not that. What we do see is what... This collection was called, uh, and I know he's talking about the collection specifically for the saints in other places uh, that were in need in Judea. He does call it, oh, when I come, whomsoever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. It's called a gift. Bear that gift to Jerusalem. It's a gift to them. In Romans chapter 15, verse 26, For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. A contribution for the poor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. You don't need me to write to you about this, but since I'm doing it, you get it taken care of, basically is what he's saying. But it's for the, it's, he calls it a ministering to the saints, serving the saints in the need that they had. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5, speaking of the same thing, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you, to, to, go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. That people would have looked at that, so Paul preempts that maybe and says, um, this is a matter of generosity and not as a grudging, oh, I've got to do this, a grudging obligation. He said, no, this is, this is a generous gift. Generous gift. Previously promised, I might add. Second Corinthians eight, chapter one and two, uh, cha- chapter eight, verses one and two. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of your liberality. 
It was called riches of their liberality. This grace, the grace of God, uh, the abundance of their joy. This is what they did because they wanted to do it. They wanted to do it. Now, let's finish that. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 3 through 5. For I bear witness that according to your ability, yes, and beyond your ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Let's go ahead and read verses 7 and 8. Or six and seven, rather. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so we also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, in, in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So just some of the things that were mentioned is what this gift was called is called a gift. Grace, ministering to the saints, aid, riches, of their liberality, their generous gift. We'll stop there. So it wasn't grudging or of necessity that they gave it. They gave because they wanted to. But first they gave their own selves to the Lord. If we do that, contribution, the collection, will be no problem. They gave themselves to the Lord first. I want us to look, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I want us to read verses 41 through 44. Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasure and saw the people uh, putting money into the treasure, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in, in, two, in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their, want, out of their abundance, But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So if I understand how the temple worked, there's the treasury up here, and the court of the ladies, court of the women, was down on the floor area. And there were 13 receptacles spaced out in this court of the women. And by the way, more than one commentary said these were trumpet-shaped receptacles. Okay, I still don't know what, how big or whatever, but trumpet-shaped. And they would just, they would cast their lots, they'd drop their money into it. And there was also a designation of what each of these different receptacles was, that money was to be used for. I don't know if they had a building fund, I don't know. I don't have a clue. But that's what it was. And so Jesus has been observing the treasury and he is looking down into the court of the women, apparently. And he sees the rich putting in much and he sees this one poor widow and she puts in, what does she call it, uh, two mites, 
which makes a quadrant. Uh, we don't know what that money is. I'll show you here in just a minute. But he sees that, and so he called his disciples to himself and starts a teaching moment. Now, she is, according to the word, she is less than a peasant. She's a pauper. She's destitute. A pauper, if somebody is very, very poor and they don't have anything and there's no family to take care of them when they die, the uh, here in Mississippi, the county will pay for a pauper's funeral. It might be three or $400. That's about it. It's not much, but just enough to put them away. Um, that's how this lady is. She, she just doesn't have it. But she puts in... Two mites, which is a lepton, which is one one hundredth of a denarius, a denarius. And she puts in two of them, so that's one fiftieth of a day's wage, about 15 cents. Not very much money, is it? You, I'm trying to think of something these days you can buy for 15 cents. And nothing it escapes me right now. But 15 cents is all she gave. And what does it say? She put in, uh, she put in out of her poverty all that she had, her whole livelihood. Fourteen, fifteen cents. It's not much. It's all she had. The others, the rich, put in out of their abundance all the more, much greater. Thayer says. In other words, they had a lots of money. And they put a good bit of it in there, but not like this woman. It didn't even compare. She is in poverty, which means she is in in want. She needs, but she gave. You could probably understand what Jesus might be thinking. They gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her poverty. She first gave herself to the Lord. He doesn't uh, say anything good about the abundance that the others gave. And we know sometimes that that people would do things just to be seen by men in the scripture. He doesn't say that about her. Got to get some notes out now. I've got a quote here from somebody... I didn't know anything about. And so I had to do some looking up to see who this man was. It was in a footnote in my in scripture, in, in my Bible program. And his name is Justin Martyr. And he lived from about 100 to about 165 A.D. Doesn't say he knew John. Doesn't say anything about that. But I just want to, well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about him. He was born in Samaria. So... That between Judea and Galilee, he was born in that area somewhere. He sought out different philosophies, although not satisfied with any. He started a conversation with an old man, possibly a Syrian Galatian, in the vicinity of the seashore, uh, who engaged in a dialogue about God and spoke of the testimony of the prophets as being more reliable than the reasoning of the philosophers. He was moved by this old man's argument uh, 
and Justin renounced his philosophical background and dedicated his life to the service of the divine. His conversion is assumed to have taken place at Ephesus. His writing of the first apology provided, provides arguments to convince the Roman emperor Antonius Antoninus to abandon the persecution of the church. I don't know scripturally where he was. I, this just doesn't tell me nothing. But whatever this man said got him to thinking that, hmm. So let's look at what, I have a good feeling about it from what we're about to look at. But this is going to take up about four slides. So just please bear with me while we read this. I'm going to read from this. It makes it a little easier. And the wealthy among, this is what happened on the Lord's Day. And the wealthy among us help the needy, and we always keep together. And for all things wherewith we are supplied, we bless the maker of all through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy, Holy Ghost. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these things. Let's just stop there and just look at There's a couple things in there that are very interesting to me. We read, uh, we come together, and the memoirs of the apostles or, their, or the writings of the prophets are read. The memoirs of the, you think that might be the Gospels? that they have the Gospels in hand or have copies of the originals or, and, uh, or some of the letters. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what they read. And they wrote, read the prophets. And then the, re the reader, the president, in verbally instructs and exhorts the imitation of these things. That sounds like what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, you imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Let's do what Scripture says. Let's live like that. Let's imitate Christ. That's what it sounds like. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread, wine, and water are brought, and the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, Amen. And there's distribution to each and a participation of that over which we have, uh, thanks have been given. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. We have the, the bread, wine, and water brought out. The president offers prayers and thanksgiving. The people say amen. There's a distribution to each, a participation, the Lord's Supper. And... Um, over that which is given thanks and then let's uh, go ahead again and they who are well to do and willingly and willing give what uh, each thinks fit and what is collected is deposited with the president who suckers the orphans and widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want and those who are in bonds and the stranger sojourning among us and in a, in a word takes care of all who are in need but Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world, and Jesus Christ our Savior on the same day rose from the dead. 
to finish it up. For he was crucified on the day before the, that of Saturn, Saturday, and on the first, and on the day after that of Saturn, which is the day of the sun, having appeared to his apostles and disciples, he taught them these things which we have submitted to you for your consideration. Sounds like what we do, by and large, on the first day of the week, doesn't it? That they have prayer. He doesn't say, he didn't mention any singing that they did, but they have prayer, they read scripture, they talk about the scripture, they teach from it, they have the Lord's Supper. And those who are wealthy help, the, help those of, of that number who are there. That's what we're supposed to do on the first day of the week. I'm through with those lessons of what we do on Sunday. Because you knew, knew all of them, but I just wanted to go over it since we hadn't gone over it in, in a long time. And what we need to get out of it, we need to give, give ourselves to the Lord. That he's the reason we're assembled here to begin with. Because he died, and God set this plan up before the foundation of the world. He died for us to save us from this place. <laughs> to, really, to save us from all this evil. Uh, and we love him and appreciate what he did for us. We'll be singing number 192. Robert's going to lead that song. If you need to come forward and be baptized to have your sins washed away, or if there's a sin that's on your, if you've already done that in the past and there's a sin on your conscience that you want to confess to, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing? Number 192.